Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Teach us to pray. I want to give you a quick update from Nashville. We were at our convention. Thank you for praying for us. Um, Pastor Megan and I actually went out a little bit early. There's a chaplain conference that we got to go be a part of, and then that rolled into our uh, Foursquare convention. And I realized, I, I think over the last week, I've, I think I've heard like 18 sermons, just back to back. So you're going to get all of them this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I hit a point about Tuesday night where I was just saturated. You know when you're just like, there's a, there's a Far Side comic. Anyone ever see the Far Side comic? And there's a kid, a kid in the classroom, and he's got like his head is like half the side of all of the other kids, and he raises his hand, and he says, you know, Mr. Smith, can I be excused? My brain is full. Um, <laughs> I felt like that. I was like, I can't listen. I mean, it was good preaching, but I'm like, I just can't even take anymore. But we, we were resourced. We were blessed. Uh, and then thank you for praying for us during the election process. wanted to announce to you that uh, Pastor Randy Remington from Beaverton, Oregon, has been uh, elected as our new president for the denomination. I don't know if we have, I, I try to give a picture back there, but there, there he is, there's Randy. Um, he pastors a church in Beaverton, Oregon, um, has been up there. It's one of our largest churches in our denomination. Uh, Megan and I are connected to him. He was our district supervisor when we pastored in Alaska, uh, is an amazing man of God, him and his wife, Sandy. So Randy and Sandy, I'm like, hey, that, that worked out well. Um, and for the next year, there will be an overlap between our current president, Glenn Burris, and Randy, and they will kind of hand off the baton over the process of a year. And then next, uh, at our next convention in Denver next year, he will be inaugurated as and, and installed as our next Foursquare president. And so it was an honor to be a part of that process. It's an important process for us as a church, not just picking a person, but discerning where God is leading us. And, and we're a part of that. And so again, thank you for your prayers and for uh, just agreeing with us for God's will for our movement. Well, I want to continue this morning in our series, Teach Us to Pray. We started this a couple of weeks ago. Thank you to Christy for bringing the word last week. I got to listen to uh, yeah, let's give it up for Christy. Thank you. Um, I actually got to listen to her, her message twice already, and uh, it was just rich, just so full of the heart of God. And um, so thank you for, for being faithful in bringing the word to us last week. Um, I started this series by, by making the statement that prayer is important. I don't think that any of us would say that prayer is unimportant in the life of the believer. In fact, there's people I, I would say that maybe don't even claim to be Christian or, or walk a Christian lifestyle who would say, yeah, prayer is important, right? And any, when we see things happening in our culture, or difficult things happen, people who don't usually pray or wouldn't consider themselves to be people of faith somehow find themselves turning to prayer and asking for prayer. 
Prayer is so important in our lives, and it's not just this byline, it's not just this side thing that we do. It is absolutely critical in the life of the believer. Yet so often we are ill-equipped in our prayer lives. We don't necessarily know how or when or why to pray what posture we should take, or what words we would say, or maybe we learn to pray in a, in a particular way, and then that's it. That's just the way we pray, and, 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 and you just kind of default to that way of praying. We want to continue to take a closer look at what prayer is, and this series is going to continue for, um, well, I'm not exactly sure how many weeks. It's going to go until the Lord says we're done. Because I believe it's critical, and in fact, in, in, in being a convention this week, uh, the thing that we kept hearing is this, is that, that, that prayer is what changes things. It's, it's pressing into prayer, that every revival in the history of the world was started out of prayer, was birthed out of prayer. That every move of God that we've seen around the world in, in, in recorded history started when peop, God's people prayed. And so as, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to have a deeper understanding of what prayer is and how prayer functions in our lives. I made this statement and I'll keep making this statement all the way through because I believe it's so foundational. It's, it's this, that prayer is relational before it is utilitarian. Prayer is about relationship before it's about getting something done, about accomplish, accomplishing something. And, and now here's what we know is Paul tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We know this, that prayer gets stuff done. But before prayer gets stuff done, prayer is about us connecting with God. It's about us walking in a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And Christy did a great job of talking about that last week. I love that vision of, that you had of being in, that, in the Holy of Holies and, and just seeing the beauty and, and then the encouraging words that came and, and being in that place where you're in the presence of God, like the priest would go into that, into that closed-off area. And, and for, for the priest, of course, it was, he was the only one that was allowed back there. But then when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was ripped, that veil was ripped in two, and, and the presence of God was just released on mankind, and that we could be in his presence. See, prayer is about relationship before it's about getting stuff done. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 through 15 says, God says to the children of Israel, he says, when I shut up the heavens... So that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and listen to this church. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Do you hear the heart of God in this? God wants to lean into us. He wants to lean in and listen to the prayers that we would, that we would offer to him. But there is a process here that we would humble ourselves and that we would turn from our sin, that we would repent and we would press into who he is. He says, I will heal your land, I will forgive your sin. 
you have to forgive me this morning. I've been in an environment over the last week that had just, it was all air conditioning all the time. And so, and, and then flying and managed to pick up some, a scratchy throat. So I'll be sipping on some water this morning. God will heal our lands. Jesus, in Luke 11, says of him that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. It's this passage that we get the title of the series from, Teach Us to Pray. The disciples had watched and observed the life of Jesus, and they had heard his prayers and watched him retreating to go into quiet places to pray. And what they recognized is, we don't know how to do what he's doing. We don't know how to accomplish what, he, accomplish what he's accomplishing it says that Jesus would teach as one who had authority. Teach it. Jesus postured himself in such a way that people saw him and they were in awe of him. And the disciples were no different. And they recognized that by just observing the life of Jesus, something is missing. Something is missing in my life. And, and rather than kind of shying back, I love the boldness, Jesus teach us. Jesus, teach us to pray that the way that you pray. We want to know how it is that you pray with the authority you have and with the intimacy you have and with the frequency you do. Jesus, teach us to pray. And so he gives them the Lord's Prayer as a model of how to pray. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But I want us to notice something here. It says that Jesus was praying. He was praying in a certain place. In fact, in Luke 5, 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Prayer was a regular part of the life of Jesus. You would think that Jesus, being God, could have just come to earth and just kind of skipped the prayer part. I'm connected to the Father already. Let's get this job done. Let's go to work. But he doesn't. That Jesus models for us what we need in our own lives. That we need to withdraw often and pray. That we need to get away and disconnect and be in the presence of God. It says that he went to lonely places. It's an interesting translation of the, 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 the thinking there it wasn't lonely in that, you know, we talk about lonely, and you're like, you know, all by myself, right? And I don't want to, I, I there's a comedian who says when you're like three years old and you can tell your mom like, I did it all by myself, but then when you're like 30, all by myself is kind of a depressing thing. It's not an exciting, like, all by myself. No. Um, so lonely, we can get this idea of what lonely means and be like, oh, lonely, I don't want to be lonely. But, but what it actually means is it was desolate, it was distraction-free. Let me ask you this. Is there any place in your life that you could say, I'm, dis I'm distraction-free in this environment? I think we'd be hard-pressed because part of it is these things go with us, Right? How many of you suffer with phantom po pocket ring? Yeah. 
you feel your phone ring and it's not even in your pocket, right? That's a thing now. It's a thing that people are like, oh, my phone's ringing. Oh, my phone's not even with me. The idea that we would disconnect is so difficult for us as a culture. We're surrounded by activity and noise. So for Jesus, there is a big old desert right there, and he could withdraw into the desert because no one goes to the desert. No one's like, oh, let's go hang out in the desert. Jesus is like, I'm going to go there because no one's there. It was isolated, <laughs> but the most important thing is it was, it was distraction-free. Here's the other thing is it was away from the limelight. It was away from the limelight. We have been consumed and so drawn into this idea that people need to see us. Again, social media and some of the things that we have at our disposal that, that I can't get through a day without telling people what I'm doing, showing people where I'm at. And there's this pursuit and, 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 and there's huge opportunity and huge value with social media and things that we can leverage it for for the sake of the kingdom and share our lives but but it can get unhealthy it can get really unhealthy in fact one of the themes of conversation at our convention this year was directed at pastors who are more concerned about being famous than being intimate with Jesus and we see these these celebrity pastors right who who are posting, and that's fine, like, they, they, you know, it's between them and the Lord, but what it can do to someone who's maybe not as effective or doesn't see themselves as being effective is, I've got to be like that person, and, and the reality is, we're not supposed to be like anyone else except for Jesus, and we can get, we can buy into this idea that, that our value comes from people telling us how valuable we are, how many likes or how many re, reposts and, or, or, or whatever, whatever platform, right? And say, well, that, that's the thing that affirms me. Jesus didn't buy into that, not because he didn't have social media. There were ways that he could have done that. He could have just hung out at the temple and become the preeminent teacher at the temple. It wouldn't have been hard for him to do. He could have drawn the biggest crowd. He could have pulled out the most people and, and really showed up everyone else around him. But what Jesus did is he went to a solitary place. He got away from the limelight and he was refreshed in the presence of God. See, it was a lonely place, but it wasn't a lonely place. Because he met his father there. In fact, it was the opposite of lonely. It was the most fulfilling, refreshing relationship that he had. It's the most refreshing, fulfilling relationship for you and me. That we would get to quiet places and retreat so that we can sit in the presence of God and be refreshed in our souls. To be reminded of who we are and who we belong to and His touch in our lives. See, we need the presence of God. We need the presence of God. And what we don't need is an acknowledgement of his presence. The idea that, oh, God's presence is everywhere and we kind of give it a, a head nod, like, oh yes, that's true. Like it's a fact and it is a fact, but it's not enough for us just to acknowledge that and say, oh, I recognize that God is everywhere and so everywhere I go, God is with me. Yes, that's true. But it's not the same thing as longing to be with him. Yeah. 
It's not the same thing of that desire, that deep desire to pull away to a lonely place, to a quiet place, to an undistracted place and say, God, I want to be with you. My boys and I have recently got back into auto racing. I've, I think I've mentioned that before. And um, we, we're especially big fans of Formula One racing. And one of the things that's really unique about Formula One, this open wheel racing, is the pit stops. Um, in fact, I have a, a quick video of what the a Formula One pit stop looks like. All right, so this is the pit crew. Um, there's no audio, it's just, just the video. So they're getting ready for the car to come in. And they're just going to do a tire change, all four tires. And that's it. Can you imagine? <laughs> Pep boys can't do that. Um, <laughs> most, a, a long pit stop in Formula One is three and a half seconds. Um, the best team right now, Mercedes-Benz, does it in about 2.3 seconds. All four tires off, new tires on, and they're out. Absolutely amazing. As I was preparing for this morning, I kept thinking about Formula One pit stops. And I thought, you know, sometimes we come to the Lord in prayer like a Formula One pit stop. We know what the need is. God, would you just quickly do this thing for me? God, I know your presence is everywhere and you can do this. God, just do it and do it fast and get me back on the road. Can you imagine, would you picture in your mind right now a big farmhouse with a wraparound porch overlooking a beautiful meadow and there's two rocking chairs sitting on that porch and God's sitting in one of those rocking chairs and he's going, the other one is for you. I just got back from the south, so of course there's going to be a picture of sweet tea sitting right there, right? It was so funny, every restaurant we go to, we'd like iced tea, would you like sweet tea, or would you like unsweetened tea? And, and then you order the unsweetened tea, and they look at you like you're weird. Um, but God just, he wants you to be with him, not in this quick pass-through, not God just take care of this real quick, but a longing for his presence where we recognize, God, when I'm in your presence, my soul is refreshed. In fact, my first point would be this this morning. In prayer, we abide in him. We abide in him. We're called to come and be connected to God in a way that is life-giving and refreshing for our souls. Jesus says in John 15, 5 through 7, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I suggest this morning that we try so often as believers to get the latter part without doing the former part. Where God, do whatever I want you to do for me, but, but we're not willing to do the work of abiding, of remaining, of being connected to the vine. If you've ever gardened or if, you've, if you have a garden, 
You've seen a tree where there's a branch that's maybe broken or something. We have a, a couple of trees in our backyard where some bugs had gotten in and, and eaten, out, eaten away at the base and prevented uh, the nutrients and the water from getting up to the tree. And eventually the tree just died to the point that I was just able to push it over with my hand. We recognize that if, if a branch or a tree is not connected to the roots or, 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 or that branch isn't connected to the trunk, that it will not last, that the very life that it needs is contained within that connection. And if we understand what Jesus is saying here, is he's saying is my presence and being connected to who I am is the thing that sustains your very life. And it's not about just producing fruit. It's not about performing so we can produce Fruit, it's about remaining so that we can be healthy. And as we become healthy in the presence of God, we produce fruit. But it requires that we stay connected to Him. The branch that, that abides, the branch that is connected, the branch that remains, He says, bears much fruit. But we have to say, Lord, I want to stay connected. God, give me a hunger for your presence. Jesus withdrew often to lonely places. What was he doing? He was maintaining the connection to the Father. Father, I need you to minister to me, to speak to me. I just need to be in your presence. Jesus said, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. Well, he had to get those orders from somewhere. He had to get that instruction from somewhere. And so he would spend time in the presence of the Lord. Can I tell you, once you've experienced the presence of God, nothing else will do. I, I believe there's a lot of people who say yes to Jesus and start walking out a form of faith that is about activity and we skip over the resting and the abiding. And I believe that our churches are filled with people who've never really experienced the all-surpassing power of the presence of God in their lives. Before we can look for signs and wonders, there's a reason that Jesus said to the disciples, go wait in the upper room. Go wait. Wait on me. Abide in me. Long for me. Allow this appetite to just be stirred inside of you for more of the presence of God. Because once you've tasted and seen and know who he is, nothing else will satisfy. And can I tell you, there's a lot of things in this world that are trying to satisfy. There's a lot of counterfeit. But once you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, there's nothing else that compares. A number of years ago, uh, I took my first trip to Kenya. I was doing a preview trip for... Uh, the church I was on staff at, we were getting ready to take a team, and there was a couple who were going to be traveling with me, and um, I was so blessed. God was doing some things in our lives, had paid off some debt, and, and was, it just provided miraculously, and I was driving down the road one day, and, um, and I just said, you know, Lord, you have blessed us so much. You have done so many good things for us. I'm like, God, it just can't get any better, and it felt God just say to me, just in my spirit, like Christy was saying last week, like you just sense like it's not audible, but you just know there's just this, this, the spirit of God just kind of touches you and says, and he just said to me, really? You think it can't get better? 
I got home, and my friend Lisa, her and her husband were traveling with me. She said, hey, I just want you to know, I booked the tickets for Kenya. They, and one of the things they said is, hey, we want to pay for your tickets to, to go over. And I thought, wow, what a, what, that's awesome. But when I got the confirmation email, I noticed something really important. That we were flying on Virgin Atlantic all the way to, to London and then Nairobi and all the way back, first class. And I, just, and I just felt the smile and the pleasure of God as he says, you think you can't get better? <laughs> well, I love flying. If, if you've been around at all, you know I'm, a, I'm an airplane geek. I love, I love flying. I love the whole entire process, but I've never flown. I'd flown business class when I was a kid. We got bumped once, but I'd never flown first class. And can I tell you, it wrecked me. I get to fly southwest this week. <laughs> Definitely not the same. We arrive, at, we arrive at LAX and we have our own line with the red carpet. You know, you've seen that line. You're like, oh, yeah, those people that get to use that line. And, you know, and we were doted on from the beginning. We were whisked through security into a, in, into a lounge that had food that was free. <laughs> and there were lounge chairs. And I'm, the whole time, I'm like, we should have been here four hours early, not two hours early. <laughs> and we get on the plane, and it's one of those cocoon-type chairs that lays flat, and they're serving you all kinds of treats and stuff. And, you know, and of course, they have British accents, so it sounds even more posh. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it, the whole thing was just incredible, just food. I, I was like, I do not want to sleep. I'm like, I want to take every part of, I want to watch as many movies as I can and eat as much food as I can. I want to take this in all the way. And then we land in London, and the first class lounge for, for Virgin Atlantic in London is a destination. I could go there on vacation and not even go into London. I could just stay there. It was incredible. Flew all the way to Nairobi, so four flights, all of them were super long. It was incredible. Can I tell you the next time I flew, you know, and you know how they do is they walk you through first class to get to steerage, to, to economy, right? And you're like walking through and now you know. Now it's not like I, I didn't know. Now I know what's about to happen in this place. And I go sit in my little seat and the whole time I'm looking up and I can see the flight attendants with their trays and their carts and their desserts and their, Right? And I'm thinking, these are not my people. <laughs> my little ginger ale and my bag of peanuts, come on. I belong up there. When you've been in the presence of God, when you've been in the presence of God, first class doesn't hold a candle to it. When you've been in the presence of God, everything else fades away. It is the richest, fullest, most rewarding, most blessed place to be. And we could so easily talk about prayer and say, you know what? Okay, let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's talk about the tools and the weapons and the, let's just go for it. Let's do this prayer thing. But if we deal with apart from a passion and a love and a desire for the presence of God, it just becomes about doing. 
God is more concerned about our being than he is about our doing. In fact, our being with God will inform what we do for God. But if all we try to do is do for God and we miss him in the process, it's not okay. God loves us too much to allow us to walk that. And so we have to abide. We have to remain in him. Matthew 6, 30 through 32 says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught after he had sent them out. And then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, listen to this, they had been busy doing ministry. He had sent them out and they had ministered effectively. Remember, they come and they tell him, man, we were praying that the, that the sick were being healed, the blind were seeing, demons were being cast out. And they come back and they're just pumped up. And what's the next thing he says to them? In the midst of the activity, he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And Jesus models for them and he says, listen, there will be seasons in your life where it's go, go, go. And you're going to be called into action. He goes, but that has to be followed and precede times of activity. You have to go into a solitary place and find rest in the presence of God. It informs everything. The second thing is this. We not only abide in him, but we can also hide in him. In prayer, we can hide. We can find refuge in him. We used to play hide and seek when I was a kid. We also play, used to play this game called tag. Anyone play tag? Yeah? Anyone still play tag? No, I bet you do. Um, and, and, and if you played tag the way I played tag, there was always one thing that you had to determine up front. Where was the base? Where was the safe place, right? So that if you're running and you couldn't run anymore, there was a place where you could go and catch your breath. Anyone remember that? Maybe your rules were different. No one? Really? Wow, I'm bummed about the way you play tag. <laughs> There was always this place, we called it the fort, we called it the base, so where you're running, 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 and you realize, okay, I've got to stop for a minute. You could go to this safe place, and no one could tag you when you were in that place. That God is a refuge to us, and he says, come to me. Come find your rest in me. Can, can we just agree this morning, life can be difficult. Amen? Life can be difficult. There are things that can come against us and there are things that we can walk through where sometimes you're just like, I need a time out. I need to get off this train for a minute. Well, we have a base. We have a safe place. We have a place to hide in the Lord. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. But you know how we do that? We do that in prayer. By retreating to quiet places and crying out to the Lord. We can run to him and we can call on him. And he sa it says that he is a fortified tower. I love that. Proverbs 20, 1 through 5. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of God, the, the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners. In the name of the Lord, may the Lord grant all your requests.
He is a mighty tower. He is a strong refuge. He is a place where we can go in the midst of our distress and we can cry out to him. Can I tell you, this is not as hard as it sounds. That we can retreat without even moving our feet. That in a moment when we feel the enemy coming against us or circumstances are not going well and things are getting turned upside down and we can stop in the midst of that and just, I mean, why do we, by the way, the closing of the eyes when you're praying, it's, it's a solitary place. When I close my eyes, the distractions are gone. And I can say, Lord, I'm just going to, in this moment, I'm going to close my eyes and God, I'm going to retreat to you. God, this is coming against me, but I need your help. I need you to be my strong tower. I need you to hear my cry. And he does. And that we can simply retreat and, fi- and find a hiding place in him. Psalm 59, one, through two, one, 1 and 2. By the way, David wrote a lot of the Psalms out of this kind of heart. God, my enemies are after me. I need you. I'm going to retreat to you. And then he finds, and we see in the Psalms how he even in that moment responds and says, but God, you're faithful. God, you're strong. God, you are my deliverer. Psalm 59, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. And then in Proverbs 14, 26, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for their children, it will be a refuge. So it's not just for you. It's for your household. It's for your family. See, a fortress isn't just a place to hide. It's also a place that you can wage war from. It's the place where we take our stand. It's the place where we can feel secure and stand back up on our feet. When we're out on the battlefield, we may be exposed, but we're, we're in the fortress. We can stand secure. We sing the song, this is how I fight my battles. And that's what it's talking about. I don't fight my battles like other people fight their battles. I fight my battles from a place of victory in the presence of the Lord. The Navy SEALs, the Special Forces branch of the United States Navy, has a saying. They always say, keep one foot in water. Keep one foot in water. These men train and train and train, and their process is grueling. Most of the people who apply to be Navy SEALs never make it, uh, make it through the, 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 the training process. They're eliminated. So they are the best of the best. Water is the most hostile environment for human beings on the planet. Um, we don't do well in water, right? It, we, 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 you, maybe even if you're a strong swimmer, if you're out in the ocean, eventually you're going to succumb. You're not going to be able to conquer water. Water is a dangerous place for human beings to be. And so what happens is the Navy SEALs train and train and train, and they train in water, and, and the water becomes like a second home to them, and they become very comfortable and very familiar in the water, so much so that they can thrive in the water. And so the statement, keep one foot in the water, is this. Wherever they're deployed, they always try to be close to some kind of body of water, right? at least 
they will know tactically where's the closest body of water because what they will do is when they're in a firefight or up against the wall, what they will do is retreat to the water because where other people will drown and will struggle, Navy SEALs thrive. And so they bring the battle, they bring the fight from a place of strength, a place of security. Can I tell you as believers in prayer, what we're doing is keeping one foot in the water. We're keeping one foot in the presence of God. That there's always this awareness when we know that we can retreat to the presence of God, that we can hide ourselves there, that we are now fighting from a place of strength. That we are establishing ourselves, and can I tell you, the enemy cannot thrive in the presence of God. The presence of God is a hostile environment to fear, and to doubt, and to sickness, and to dysfunction, and brokenness. The, the, The presence of God is the best place for us to be. And so just like the Navy SEALs, what we need to do as believers in prayer is to say, I need to keep one foot in the presence, that I'm always close. And the great thing is, unlike these guys that fight, that they may have to run to find a body of water, the presence of God is always there. And we turn our attention and say, God, I'm going to hide myself in your presence right now. God, make yourself known, no matter what it is that we're walking through. The greatest expression of his presence that we know is that Jesus came as a human being, that Jesus made the decision being sent by the Father to come. We're going to close our service this morning with communion. The presence of God came to earth, took on flesh, and that as we turn to the bread and as we turn to the cup, that these are reminders of what God has offered to us. This idea that God is far off, that he is unknowable, and God says, no, 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 no. I am knowable, I am close, I am imminent. And Jesus steps into our reality and he models for us how to live and he makes the presence of God something tangible for us. And so as we come to the bread, as we come to the cup this morning, I encourage you, it doesn't matter what you're walking through. This morning you can put one foot in water. You can know that you are in in a place that is a place of abiding and a place of refuge that God has moved on your behalf and that in prayer, as you come to him and you call on his name, that he meets you in that place. And it's his great joy to wrap you up in his arms, to affirm his love for you. That you would have a taste and a desire and a hunger for his presence and that he would sustain you in that. I want to invite the ushers to come forward. bread, Jesus' body that was broken for us, we can go ahead and start passing those trays. It was broken for us so that we might have healing, wholeness to every part of our lives. Bread sustains. Bread is is nourishment. In fact, Jesus' prayer was, give us this day our daily bread. God wants to take care of your needs. He wants to take care of the things that are right in front of you. 
There might be all kind, manner of things, all kinds of things this morning that you would say, this is the need in my life. This is the place where I need God's provision. Maybe it's a touch of healing in your body. God wants to move in that way. Maybe it's financial provision. He wants to move in that way. In that way. Maybe it's re- relationship, maybe reconciliation in relationship. God wants to move in that way. His body was broken so that these things would be accomplished in our lives. Can we hold the bread together? Father God, we thank you for the body of Jesus Christ broken for us. That this piece of bread represents the presence of God in our lives. That God, your presence is not held behind a curtain anymore. That because of this body that was broken, that we have direct access to the presence of God, that we can come boldly before you. And that in that place, as you even said to the children of Israel, that I will heal your land. And so God, this morning as we hold this bread, we ask that there would be healing, healing of bodies in this place. We declare that disease would be gone, that sickness would be removed. In Jesus' name, that brokenness would be made whole. God, we pray for restoration of broken relationships and reconciliation to take place, Lord God. God, we pray for our nation today. We ask in the broken places of our nation, Lord, that there would be wholeness that would come and healing for our land. Jesus, we give you praise and we thank you for your sacrifice for us and we receive this bread with thankful hearts in Jesus name amen let's receive together to that cross that blood and water flowed that Jesus took on humanity Emmanuel means God with us God with us that before Jesus accomplished what he needed to do on the cross he was simply with us, that his presence was here on the earth. It's a great reminder. And we get to come to the Father. We can get we can engage God and just simply be with him. That he wants to meet us and love on us and speak to us. And just like Jesus hung out with the disciples and they had time together, that God wants to spend time with you. And it's the blood of Jesus that makes that possible, that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin, 
that we were declared and made whole and made righteous in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus so that we can have that access. See, before that, because of sin, there was a division, there was separation. But Jesus opened the way for us to be able to come, to be with him. This is an invitation. This is an invitation into the presence of God. To live as no other people to experience God as, as no other people would experience or any other form of religion or piety. That he did all the work and said, come, be with me. Can we stand together? Jesus, we thank you for your blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sin. And that Jesus, through this cup, through this blood, through the shedding of your blood, that you established a new covenant. A covenant that says to us, we have access. And just Jesus, just as you retreated to pray and spend time with the Father, it's because of this cup that we now have access. And so, Father, I pray that we would hunger for your presence, that we would long to be with you. Lord, that our prayer lives, Lord, would be bolstered and built up, not by our fancy words, not by our posturing, but simply by being with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are God with us we receive the cup together with joy in Jesus name thank you Lord Father we praise you we honor you in this place teach us to pray Teach us to pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger and a passion for prayer. God, for each of us individually, Lord, that we wouldn't wait for a Sunday morning. But Lord, throughout the week, that we would find place to press in, to retreat, to find solitude, to be with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close in worship this morning. Let's sing, I believe it, I receive it.